Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur by experienced managed service providers. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. Uh, we are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of Greenlink Networks, which is a voice over IP uh, channel only uh, based out of Dallas as well. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I, I wanted to do this podcast was because visiting a lot of these events, I, I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues that, that we experienced. So wanting to take that pain away from some of the new guys, they decided to go with this podcast. My name is Craig Hickman. I'm with ProBlue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a managed service provider. We started in 2005. I started with, I think, a total of three employees, and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop. We're located in South Central Indiana, servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way. My name is Joe Ucia. I'm the CEO for Infinite IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're currently about a dozen employees. We're an MSP. We were originally founded in 1999. I truly believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help me and, and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share with me their mind share on, on how to overcome issues. So I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago and many years in the working and here we are. So we hope that you really get a lot out of this podcast and learn the things that I wish somebody would have told me. Follow, like, and subscribe at IT4Whiskey.com. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe, and Craig. Welcome back to the next episode of IT4Whiskey. My name is Joe Yusia, and my co-hosts are my good friends, Myron and Craig, that are with me today. What's up? We have a really great topic that we're going to talk about that I think it'll touch home for a lot of people. Craig, what are we talking about today? I'm drawing a blank. What are we talking about, guys? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about let's define a good customer. Okay, a good customer is somebody who doesn't forget who they are. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great topic. A lot of people make the mistake of taking on clients or uh, even vendors that are not a good mix for their culture or their company. Uh, I have seen many people make mistakes, especially uh, if you're friends with Myron. Could you just drop the <laughs> mic, Myron? He dropped the mic. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a good friend, and he had a mentor. One of his sayings was, uh, I like two types of customers. One is I like really nice customers, and I like nice customers with a lot of money. Or at least I pay, right? <laughs> Yes, correct. Having a lot of money and not giving it to you doesn't work either. <laughs> There's this thing that we always talked about when we when we started the MSP and we talked about three types of customers, A, B, and C, right? The A customers are the ones that were our home run customers. Those are the ones we, we wanted, we did everything for, we went above and beyond. The B customers are the ones that were our steady flow customers, which we obviously provided all the same support and all that good stuff. And then there was the C customers, the ones that we really didn't care about and most likely would end up firing or would be okay with them leaving. So it, it was always when we were looking to bring in a new customer, we look at it and say, hey, what do you guys think? Is it going to be an A, B, or C customer? Do you guys document that internally in any way? No. Is there a way that you track it? You just kind of know. That's how, that's how it works here. It just knows. Yeah, everybody just knows. Although we do have 
a PETA award? <laughs> so for those who don't know what PETA means, which I find interesting that a lot of people don't know, is pain in the ass award. Yeah, for sure. So we, you know, we run some reports that give us uh, certain metrics, and it it crowns one customer a month as the the PETA customer, and everybody knows who that is for the following month. If you're on that list too long, then you you start going down from an A customer all the way down to a C customer. Here's a interesting tidbit: is that I find some customers are a certain way over email, and then completely different over phone, and then completely different in person, and. The younger crowd, because this is interesting for my my age now, is that I started this very young, and now I'm getting into the situation where I'm actually talking to people that are a lot younger than I am and who only want to communicate over email. Yeah. Like there's some customers I have never met or talked to them on the phone. It's completely over uh, email. Wow. That's interesting. It's true. For us, we have customers that, that communicate differently via email versus the phone or in person. They're, they're very sweet and nice in person. And then they're, as soon as you leave, they're, they're nailing you with a dagger in the back. <laughs> I think a lot of people miss the sense of how to put feeling into an email. Uh, I find the emails to be very direct. I want this now. I don't want to wait. Yeah. You know, they, they, they feel like the, sh- the response should be instantaneous. There should be no lag between my email and your response from your team. No, actually, it's funny. When it comes to emails, what I'm finding nowadays is that a lot of people are forgetting the fact that emails can be fairly monotone and it's very difficult to express emotion in email. Now, there's emojis and all that kind of stuff, but even at that, it's not deemed professional or not considered professional to include them. So how do you, how do you communicate that way? So I think you know, for us, we try to have a blend of electronic and verbal communication with our customers where and when possible. We have one customer in particular that he's an email junkie, as as I am, admittedly. And he, on emails, you'd think he's out to crucify you on every single email. He's harsh. He's right to the point, very direct. Everyone here at our company thinks that just he hates us. You get on the phone with him and he's telling us how much he loves us. It's almost bipolar in some way. Yeah. It is, but it's because there's email etiquette. I think some people look at email as an efficiency tool as opposed to a communication tool. Yeah, I can, I can think of a few people that are like that, that their their email is just, it just it just rubs the wrong way. There's two sides of it. There's the, the ones that are intentionally right that way and, that, and that's really who they are. And then there are those that it, it's just that they can't formulate it in a, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more courteous manner. But what Craig was saying earlier, the expectation level of the customers or anybody in particular, in terms of when you send it via email versus when you contact via phone, whether you text, what is priority and what is not? I think those expectations need to be established with the customer. So that way you have a good relationship. When, whenever we've taken on an MSP account, a new customer or whatnot, that relationship, communication process needs to happen in the onboarding so that everybody's on the same page about if you have an emergency, don't send it in an email ticket because then you're not expecting a 10-minute response or whatever the case is. In our case, if it's an emergency, call in because somebody will answer the phone and be able to support you. You know, Don't send it in a text message because you don't know if the person you send it is even in and working that day. I think it's important to define both ways because even for the customer, the customer may say, hey, call my cell phone. Don't call my office phone. I'm never there, you know, or I never answer it or, or whatnot. So those, those are important things to do. And I think if you miss that, it can create a good customer, be a bad customer, and, and so to speak. When we sign up a new customer, we send out a welcome packet, pretty much outlines all of that. And then we schedule a call. Because typically before we send the packet, we've already had these communications and these, and these talks about how, how we react 
what's our turnaround time for calls during the day and after hours. So there's there's expectations set, but there's also times when customers heard blah, 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 and they just, <laughs> just do whatever they want. And they, no rhyme or reason. But I think choosing your customers is important. Uh, in the beginning, I'm maybe the same as you guys. I took on almost any business. I mean, when I was starting this out, I would mow grass. <laughs> I'd outsource it, but I'd mow it. I could open a ticket for that. <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, I think it's important when you get mature and your business is along that you find the groove that fits best for you and try not to take on every customer shows up. I actually turn leads away and give them to a competitor. Uh, mostly, I mean, I, I cherry pick the good ones, but the ones that I, because right. I, I still want to take care of them because I'm in a small community. And if I help them, you don't know, it might come full circle. Right. You know, something bigger or better might come out of it later. Like you helped me. Appreciate that. You know, here's something for you now. It's also important to take care of your customers, especially the ones that are they're important to your to your business. There's always the eighty twenty model. One of the things that we do is, do you guys do um, any type of client gifts? Yep, we do. Yeah, so uh, we do. I mean, it, and in terms of the onboarding, when customers sign, we kind of have a, a huge onboarding project that we go through, and there's a few sessions, calls, and things like that that define uh, how we do it, how what they should expect, and whatnot. It's important that that those those things are there. Now, in terms of gifts, we do provide a gift when they come on board. We do send them a gift. Nice. We've been discussing even like a thank you gift uh, once a year. We've talked about swag. It could be something that's for the office, like a like a basket or something like that. I mean, different things. Just something like an appreciation of, you know, hey, thanks for being a customer. Thanks for paying on time or whatever the hell it is. You know what I mean? And what we find is when we're onboarding an MSP customer that we're doing help desk and everything, we have our placards. We actually laminate placards and, and give them to everyone so they know how to get assistance. They put it up in their desk. So it's great when you walk into a customer's office and you see your face everywhere. The other thing that we do is we provide all the staff a little grab bag, just an infinite mug, pen, a lanyard, just some small trinkets, if you will, swag. The big thing, though, that I think is our differentiator against our competitors, I don't know if I should be saying this, but in light and spirit of the podcast, sticking true to what it's all about, uh, Mindshare. We actually, for all our managed service customers, do a quarterly briefing review, every single one of our customers. So my partner and I, we go to see every single customer in person at least once a quarter, even though I have my account management team, my inside sales team that takes care of our customers on a day-to-day basis. But it's our opportunity to get FaceTime with the decision makers. It's our opportunity to listen without my staff present. It's just the two of us. No, none of my staff are allowed to, to be there. And it's a, it's an opportunity for them to, to open up the lines of communication. When we do these QBRs, we always bring something. Yeah. Right now, this quarter, we got these jars of candies that we got at Costco or something like that. And what we do is we brand it. We, we go out and we get stickers made or whatever. It gets branded. It's left in the office. And it's like, oh, Infinite was here again. And they left us something. So... It's really nice to see, you know, last quarter's gift is is still being used if it depending on what it is and it's something that's for the whole office and it it's always appreciated. We do the quarterly reviews. Most of the times we struggle with getting the customer to take out the time to do it, but when we when we get them to uh, spend the time with us, we always bring something or 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 take them out to lunch or dinner or something like that. And most importantly uh, beyond the touch for the customer, it's that it gives us a chance to talk about what we did in the last quarter to improve their technology or push forward any of their objectives. And it gets us, most likely gets us some project work Agreed. because something will kind of come, something comes from that conversation. To me, the best customers 
are those that actually take that time to sit down and have those quarterly reviews. Because again, it keeps us in sync. We know what their expectations are. We, they know what, what we're trying to achieve. And it just helps us all together. And I agree 100% with everything you said, extra especially the comment about a good customer. So in, in keeping true to the theme today or the topic of today, uh, I will say our A customers, all of them do the QBRs religiously. Yeah. When we do this quarter's uh, QBR, the last thing on the meeting on the agenda is let's book next quarter's right now. Right. And you book it out far in advance. We have a pretty good success rate with that. It's the first one is the hardest one to get, but maintaining them, it becomes routine for our customers. And when they get that delight factor that you give them something every time you show up. So there's a little bit of that too, right? Exactly. Uh, we do ours monthly. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then we do a yearly budget review. So that way they know what to expect for, let's say, 2019. You do once a month. You visit every single customer. Every client. I personally do not visit every client, but every every MSP client's visited once a month. Then we do a budget review once a year with, with each client. Because I found out like five or six years ago, you know, I've been selling stuff for a long time and some things only have like a four or seven year warranty. It became a struggle trying to get people to buy into that. They need to replace their technology because eventually it's just going to crap out and there's not going to be any support for it. So the budget review was important because that way I put in front of them a sheet that says, hey, here's the things that are coming up. You need to set aside amount of cash to eventually replace this equipment so that there was no sticker shock when the time came. We do the budget with some of our larger customers that ask for it. I don't think we push it on them. We do it for, we do it for everybody. Great idea. I think it's a great idea to push it. There are customers that require the monthly or ask for the monthly reviews, but most are okay with a quarterly, at least for our, our customer base. I, th I think it came out of necessity in the beginning and I just haven't changed it. Yeah. I mean, could we go quarterly? I, I would think so. But there would be some be like, hey, where were you? Right. <laughs> right. There's a slightly different conversation that happens if you do it monthly, like you're saying. And if you, Craig Hickman, personally went out and saw the customers every quarter. True. I agree. I have staff that are at customers uh, like once, uh, once, twice a month. Uh, the AMs are usually there once or twice a month and they're always in their face. And but it's a different conversation when you are there as the owner and the proprietor and you know, that's, but it's time, right? And so you got to juggle time and, and, and whatnot. I get that. So I had a, I got a text message from uh, one of, one of the MSP customers uh, recently. He was texting me to let me know that he had listened to the podcasts and, um, he found them interesting. You know who you are if you're listening to this one. He found that although this podcast is not for the customer, he could still relate and he gave him a little bit of insight of the things that we struggle with as, as a business. That's, that's awesome, actually. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool to hear from that is pretty cool. customer's perspective. How, how quickly, let's say you have an incident with a customer, a customer who is unrational and treats your staff poorly for no reason. And then the customer or your staff is trying to help them. How quickly do you let that customer go? It depends if it's if it's a user, like an employee of the customer or something like that. It just you know that's just. Let's say this is the owner. So if it's the owner, I would have a serious discussion with the owner about the way that we operate and what our expectation is from them as a customer. Because to me, it's a two-way partnership or agreement. So I'm expecting that my team's not going to get beat up, abused or trashed, abused, yeah. uh, because it, it's pressure as it is to try to find a, a solution to issues. 
on the fly when people cause problems. And I, and I don't know what the what a specific issue, but it's it's hard. So the added pressure from the customer to just abuse a, an employee, I, I don't take that lightly. So I would have the conversation. And if depending on how that conversation goes, that would make it or break it for that customer. So I'll tell you, from, from my perspective, we actually had something very similar happen to your situation there, Craig. We had this one customer, they're one of our larger customers that have a lot of sub-agents and and their sub-agents, they're all in the medical field, right? So this one guy owns this clinic. He's a doctor, fairly large clinic, you know, a couple dozen PCs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, this doctor is such a rude and abusive person just by nature, not just towards us. In general, he's very rude. And we had a lot of our staff that were complaining about this guy saying, well, doctor's doing this, the doctor's doing that. All he does is yell at me. He swears at me. So I started listening to some of the recordings from our call center Mm. and I called him out on it and he refused to give me FaceTime, even a phone call. He was just ignoring my calls, wouldn't call me back. He knew I was right and what I was calling about. Anyways, long story short, uh, I sent him an email, put him on notice. Um, uh, What We have an, an acceptable fair treatment policy as a part of our MSP agreements. I reminded him of the fair treatment policy that we'll treat you with respect. You got to treat us with respect. He didn't. He ignored that. I reminded him a second time, ignored it, put him on notice that we're no longer going to support him. He sent me an email freaking out about that. I said, fine, if you want us to support you because you think we're that great, you're at bench rate, $2.45 an hour. I don't care what it is you need. It's $2.45 an hour plus all the managed services licensing. He agreed. Yeah. <laughs> So he's paying four times what I was going to charge him to do the, or what I had been charging him to do the work. And he pays time materials for everything. And he pays all the RMM licensing. So he's paying through the nose, but I guess no one else will tolerate him. So I just remind the staff saying, you know, use the doctor filter. When he starts yelling at you, just hang up on him. And we don't do that for any customers. But I told the guy, I said, look, if you're going to be abusive to my staff, they will hang up on you. And they do it all the time. And you know what? I support it 100%. Then he'll call back and with his tail between his legs, sorry, I just lost my temperature. I lost my temper. I lost my temper. Was it Celsius temperature? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we don't tolerate it. As soon as he goes off the deep end, we hang up. We should hook these two up. (laughs) We should make a podcast of them. Yeah. Put them in a ring. We uh, do like a conference call where you have them both call each other and see who wins. I don't know. (laughs) I find that lawyers and doctors are probably the most problematic when it comes to uh, customers at times. I like the accountants, service industry, manufacturing. I mean, because because I've run into some customers that do not appreciate what we do for them. Because there's ones that just, this you're, you're just a tool, fix my problem. They don't relate that there's a person on the other end. I think that that's also true for us on the MSP side. You know, what's funny is that we have partners that are like that. They don't understand when somebody's working on an issue for them, they have no patience. You're in the business of providing service. I mean, you know that sometimes there's things that it's going to take a little while to figure out. It's crazy that an MSP that deals with that with their customers is also that way to its vendors. It's funny how you have people that they're just not comfortable with having to deal with high stakes issues or whatnot. And I think that's probably what happens. You know, the doctor or the lawyer, they're so focused in their practice and what they do, and they just expect everything to be instant for them. And some doctors don't even know how to balance their checkbooks. You know, (laughs) it's the honest truth because they're so focused in their trade that they're not involved in the other pieces of the business, you know? So it's very fascinating to me that, Joe, that you accept the customer even after, I would have 
I would have thrown that person or kicked them to the curb. So I'll put it this way. They're literally paying four times the price. And I've told him that flat out. I said, you realize you're, you're paying a four-time premium being with us. You may want to go somewhere else, get something cheaper. And his answer was, no, it's okay. I don't mind paying it. He just wants a punching bag because, I don't know, it's what he wants. So we tolerate it. So this brings up the good question is, do customers, the bad ones, drive you to drink scotch whiskey? <laughs> and today we're actually reviewing Abulur Abunda. Abund? Abunar. I've never tried it, and I can definitely not pronounce the name. So it's spelled A-B-U-N-A-D-H, but the A-D-H, where you're from, Craigie, <laughs> is actually pronounced A-R-H. So it's actually pronounced Abunar. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. The really cool thing, if you look on some of the common websites out there that talk at the different scotches and whatnot, this Abalore scotch is a single malt. It's aged solely in X. Olor soul sherry butts. Long story short, the word actually abana means original in Gaelic, and it's one of those whiskeys that they try to keep true to the 1800s process. What's cool about this scotch that I really like is that they number the batch that it came from. So I've got a bottle in front of me. It's from batch number 30, and it says it right on the bottle. So you're saying every every bottle could be different based on the batch? Every batch can be different. The bottles themselves... Oh, the same shape. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, what I meant is that within a batch, you'll have the same taste, but from batch 30 to batch 32 might be a different taste because the sherry casks that they use are different. Gotcha. Do you have a bottle of it in front of you there, Craig? I do not. I only have the Abelur 12 in front of me. I am going to go pick up the Bund. I still can't pronounce it right. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I'm going to go pick it up later. It's Abunar. Abunar. It's a great scotch. I'm going to walk into to the liquor store. I'm going to Abunar. Give me the Abunar. <laughs> They'll know what you're talking about. So the really cool thing about this scotch is its cask strength. 59.8%. So for all intents and purposes, 60% alcohol. 120 proof. Oof. What's really nice, though, is you take just very little of it, put it in some ice, let it breathe for a minute or two, swirl it around, take a whiff, and enjoy. Great scotch. I do recommend it. I, it's one of my favorite scotches to have, although there are many other ones that we will talk about at future dates. What's what's the price point on that on that scotch in the U.S.? In the U.S., it goes for about $60, I believe, 50 60 bucks on average, depending on your state. It's not an expensive bottle. In my in my town, it's going for around eighty. Yeah, it depends. Up in, in in Ontario, it's going for a hundred dollars, and we usually pay more for everything. So that's that tax there. <laughs> yes, the syntax. We've got a lot of syntax, but the cost of it versus value, it, it's fantastic because you you do need to water it down a little bit. Drinking cask strength scotches straight. Yeah, it'll be a little hot. It's harsh. It'll be hot to coat tank. So yeah. what I recommend is that before you add the water to it, definitely take a whiff. Yeah. Add, add either, I try it a couple different ways. I would try adding distilled water first, first time and just, or add some cubes. Depends on how your taste is. Yeah. This is something I was explaining to Myron earlier. Have you guys ever seen this maple water? No. Uh, you, yeah, you were telling me before. But check but this out. Check this out. I went to a quake recently. Do you know what quakes are? Is that a Canadian word? Scotch tastings. So it's a Quake is a traditional Scotch tasting. It's actually a very... I was thinking Quakers, but... I, <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. No, it's actually a Scottish word. No. So in, in Scotland, they have Quakes where you get together and you do Scotch pairings with food and different Scotches and whatnot. I love going to Quakes and they have organizations like chapters all over the world. Anyways, I was at a Quake a few months ago and we're trying these Scotches I'd never tried before and never heard of before. And then you can usually buy them as well. And this guy had to have been 90 years old, old Scottish dude. 
kilt, the whole nine yards, looked the part, was the authentic thing. He pulls out these one liter Tetris, puts it on the on the table. I was like, what? What is that? So they had one cask strength scotch there, and it's escaped me the type of scotch it was, but it was really potent. Had a hard time drinking it because I had a lot of bite. He's like, just put a little bit of this maple water in it. Really? So I did. Fireworks. Unbelievable. I don't even use distilled water anymore. I only use maple water. It's not expensive. It's like four bucks a liter. And I will tell you that it really changes the dynamic of the scotch. I'm not a big Islay guy because I don't like the peats. Put a little maple water in it. Good to go. So Giovanni just walked into the room. Those that don't know, Giovanni's my business partner, and he's getting a chance to see Craig's <laughs> collection in the background for the first time. And his eyes are just <laughs> wide open. <laughs> That's in the office. That's, yeah. <laughs> wow. So do you suggest that you use the maple water? I mean, you like to drink it by itself. Yeah, I like it on its own too. It's fantastic. Maple water comes from the maple tree. Imagine that. <laughs> really? <laughs> That when the farmers tap it for the syrup, there's water that's... And Would that be called maple syrup? Yeah. Really? You've seen Elf. So <laughs> I love maple syrup. <laughs> so they tap the trees, they collect the sap, et cetera, to make maple syrup. They pasteurize it by boiling it, whatever, whatever. What maple water is, is the membrane of water. There's a, like a membrane of water around the maple syrup in the tree. It's 98% water, but you get a little bit of that sweetness from the, the sap and they don't pasteurize it. So that's the big difference. And it is yummy. I gotcha. Hmm. I'll have to order that. Try that. Where do you buy it? Do you buy it? at? The- I bought it at my supermarket. At the supermarket. Okay. Walmart carries it around the corner from my house. Craig, have you ever tried that? I've had not the opportunity to try it yet. My fluids are very limited. <laughs> I do have a lot of maple syrup here at my house, I have to admit. Although I'm going to try some maple syrup in my scotch later and see how that goes. I'll give you guys an update. Yeah, I don't know if I do that. Yeah. I did I did find maple syrup online. I can get a, a case of it for 30 bucks or something, 35 bucks. The, the one you just sent over? That's expensive. I pay three, four bucks for a liter. These are a third of a liter and you're paying a lot more. That's a lot of money. Oh, that's a lot of cash, dude. <laughs> Awesome. Well, boys, it's been once a great session again. Is there any words or kindness or knowledge you want to pass on to our listeners? Obviously, categorize your customers, figure out which ones are important to you, uh, and which ones you need to get rid of. Because the one thing we didn't touch about with the customers is that those customers that you're hanging on to that are not good customers are the ones that are taking the most of your time away. And it probably frustrates your staff. It probably puts a burden on the team. That if you didn't have that customer and you had better customer, you'd be more profitable with the same amount of customers. Last thing I would like to talk about is one, remember to follow us. We're streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Radio Public, and a bunch of other places as well as our website, www.itforwhiskey.com. We now also have a comment section on the site. So if you want to comment about the particular podcast, please add your comments there. Yeah, let us know. And please make sure to tell your friends about itforwhiskey.com. Spread the word. We'd love to get as much feedback as we can so we can craft this, provide you additional value. Thank you very much for for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at itforwhiskey.com. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, guys. It's wiki, wiki. (laughs) My bottle doesn't squeak anymore.